Welcome back once again to the Collapsing Bucket Podcast, brought to you by Royal Flush Designs. My name is Rob Ward, your old mate, Wardy, and I am joined by the boss man, Simon Carroll. Hello, mate. And the dross man, Sam Aykroyd. How do you, uh, Rob? Excited. You swine. I wonder where you're going with that with the boss man. I know that's a... Uh... <laughs> the, the chip you've got on your shoulder well you can finally what? get off your shoulder isn't it this of your uh, Twitter's responses to our ballsy causes clearly <laughs> been fighting at you listen I, I'm embracing our audience size the boss man I'm just laying it up I, I don't think I don't think Sam he'd be as effective a boss man as 80s and early 90s WWE superstar the big boss man well, few was a, a yeah. real enforcer of the ring, wasn't he? Uh, <laughs> around for a long time. You say that he was still going well into the noughties, wasn't he? Yeah, I remember he, he, had, was, uh, he had like a little uh, rivalry with Doink the Clown for a bit, and it was quite amusing. That's all I remember was, from him. That was always good. He, he used to carry a well, it, it it was what we'd call a truncheon down to the ring, but they called it a, a knife stick. Is it in America, Sam? Knife stick, yeah. Well, knife it's, stick. it's not quite. A, it's not. It's not expandable, but ex- extendable baton, is it? It's just a straight bar with a handle. like a T T handle thing. Yeah, there you um, go. Can't be used in the daytime, effective. obviously. No, it, it sounds a little bit sexual, doesn't it? <laughs> a nightstick. <laughs> oh, only if you're nocturnal, uh, lover, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you do your yours in the daytime, do you, Sam? Hey, mate, you don't have to worry where the sun is for me. <laughs> well, there we go. Yeah. You know what I love is you never know where we're going to end up in, in, in our opening, in our preamble. Um, well, folks, here we are again, I suppose. Um, another regular season in the books, Sam. Uh, 18 weeks and, and here we are. It, it's it's playoff time once again. Uh, how are we feeling? Oh, well, uh, well, he dejected, obviously, this time. First time in a while. But I can switch off now. I don't care. I don't care what happens. No, uh, <laughs> Obviously, it's uh, I, we always have, it's that bit of sweet feeling now, isn't it? Because it's all the games all get very exciting, they all get ramped up. There's lots on it. Everything's high drama, but the clock is ticking. So we got uh, what seven fallow months of uh, looking a bit at draft picks and all that. But really, we've got we've got a, a, yeah, the drought's coming, not far away. Drought the drought is coming. The famine will be real. Hey, sorry. Three of our probably probably the most exciting finish to a season the three of us have personally been invested in since we started doing this podcast because I think I'm it's think it's fair in saying it's the first time we went into the final weekend of the year with all three of our teams in with a shout of making uh, sadly only one of our teams uh, emerged victorious yeah. but it was a uh, Hell of a finish to the season. I, I thought this was where you were going with it. You look rather smug with your uh, rum and coke on your uh, and your little pinky up there. Um, yeah, you know what? It, not so much a big deal for me. I'm used to my team not getting to the playoffs. I suppose. I suppose out of the three of us, my team's probably got to the playoffs just about the least. 
in our history of watching it. You've had the good eras of Jim Harbour, didn't you, at the beginning of your of your 49ers period. And obviously, Sam's been very blessed with uh, Sean Payton, despite those three, seven, and nine seasons out of four that time. But yeah, um, it was exciting, wasn't it? I think the kudos to the NFL. They nailed the uh, schedule, uh, not only throughout the season, culminating in great divisional games to finish off, but also with the way they uh, positioned them on that Sunday. So get rid of two dross games on Saturday, sack them off. And Sunday was uh, a free-for-all from start to finish. It was absolutely fantastic. But yeah, um, possibly the best Sunday of the season, I would argue, for drama. So fair play to him yeah. and um, a great prelude to what will be a, a, should be a, an excellent knockout competition now. It, it, it should, Sam, but I can't help but feel we kind of lost some of the better games when it all when it when it when, when all was said and done you know we we, we could have had uh, charges at chiefs in the end we got steelers at chiefs mm. we could have had there's another one sign wasn't another quite exciting game was was being lined up uh that, that, that didn't materialize because just the way it fell at the end can't help but feel as well and i'm not just saying this to to get some brownie points from mr cal but can't help feel it with the charges not making it in two inferior teams made it into the AFC playoffs. No disrespect, of course, to, to Steelers fans, and particularly Raiders fans, who are no like to come at us hard on this pod when we when we besmirch the good name of that franchise. Well, I would say, if you're in the last seven, or last, well, yeah, last seven, you deserve to be in the last seven. That's the end of oh, it. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> you could give us that well, old... Yeah, we've had 18 weeks. We've had 18 weeks to split them apart. If at the final power, so if the Saints are upset about it, get you out together with sooner. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, so the Eagles are a better team than the Saints, Sam. Yeah. Uh, this year, apparently, so yeah. yeah. Undeniable, uh, isn't it? You can't argue that point. Shit, <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. That's half of like, Warney's material, that. Scotch. Now, who's going <laughs> to? Yeah. Well, you, you can guarantee if we were sat here and the Niners were out and the Saints and the Eagles were in, I would be seeing my ass. Yeah, one of those games. Uh, one of those games you alluded to would have been an, an excellent uh, number two Buccaneers hosting a number seven Saints, which I think was a, another one which would have been an excellent divisional game because the Saints have got the books in the pocket to some extent. The only one of the only teams who has. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, cruelly denied that by uh, Jimmy G out of nowhere. Rob, are you, are you back yeah. on the Jimmy G uh, bandwagon? Did, did I think I feel like Sai, you were fully invested in in, in the emotional roller coaster mm-hmm. I was going on on Sunday night. It, on, yeah. The final couple of minutes, I was sort of texting frantically, uh, anticipating yet another. I think at one point did I say, I think it was just after the the when he threw that he threw that ball behind Kittle into triple coverage that that Ramsey sort of bobbled and came down with. <laughs> yeah, it was like, great deception to be fair. He took it well, but I just—it was that moment. I just think I said to you, and yeah, who would have thought it would have come down to Jimmy G uh, throwing into triple coverage behind his receiver to cost us our season? But it wasn't to be. We will come to that, folks. We will come to that. Um, we're going to essentially do a sort of preview of, um, well, not just Wild Card Weekend, Sam Super Wild Card Weekend. Don't don't buy into it. It's Wild Card Weekend. It's not like there's. It's just a wild card weekend. This super, I'll go into this last year. It's nonsense. It's one wild card weekend. There's one championship weekend. It's not. There's not an extra weekend being added to playoffs. No, but it's, at, no, it's yeah. not. But it's been souped up, hasn't it? Because now we've got six, <laughs> six, twelve games this weekend instead of four. Super, mate. 
Well, in that case, it should have been called Super Wildcard Weekend over many years ago when they expanded it first time around. Absolutely not. I'm not having it. It's Wildcard Weekend. <laughs> OK, folks, so call, call it what you will. Uh, we, we will be talking about uh, those games uh, in reference to how some of those teams made it in as we look back as well on an exciting Week 18. The first ever Week 18 in NFL history didn't fail to deliver. Let's talk before we get there um, about some of this, uh, the old, uh, the comings and goings in the, in, in the lands of GMs and coaches, Si. Um, who's, who's the headline act, would you say? Where you, you, you've got the pyramid stage at Glastonbury and, and you're sort of building up to that, that big Sunday night uh, slot, Si. Who's taken the Sunday night slot for you here? Which was the, the, the big announcement, do you think, in terms of coaches? Or GMs that departed. Oh, without doubt, it's Brian Flores, isn't it? I think that's fair. I think we'll start there um, because it was the most unsuspected. We didn't even have having on our list of names that we no. thought would even be considered to be fired, and for good reason too. You know, um, okay, this season did not go as many had hoped or planned, but uh, you look at his record; it's something like twenty-four and twenty-five over three years. That includes year one, where he managed to win five games somehow, despite uh, front office completely and utterly tearing apart that that uh, roster for a rebuild. Um, and yeah, they lost seven games in a row this season. Obviously, that's not great, but that's counterbalanced by the fact that they won seven in a row to, to mitigate it. So obviously, <laughs> he is a good head coach. Um, they were on the cusp of the playoffs last year. They weren't far off again this year. You know, they're in the re- trending in the right direction. A team that you know they don't have all the answers everywhere, and there might be some. There's rumours uh, that Flores didn't necessarily want to work with Tua. That Flores was the, the keen admirer of Deshaun Watson trying to push for that trade. And obviously, as working with the front office, who Chris Greer managed to keep his job, um, and maybe he's all invested in Tua now. How Tua does with with Greer is very important, isn't it, for for Greer's own career? So, he's obviously, on the lookout for a quarterback uh, for a coach who thinks they can take Tua and make him into a franchise quarterback. Which, you know, he's not had a bad season. He's not had a good season. He's he's, he's had a young quarterback season where he's still learning the ropes, and he can go either way from here on in, can't it, with Tua? Um, but there's plenty of positives to work with, so the, net, the new guys will be quite pleased with it. Um, they've already requested interviews with Bills offensive coordinator Brian Dayball, which is a smart move. You know, a guy who's tailored an offense to a quarterback in that division. So you know they know what they're getting there. And Mike McDaniel, the 49ers offensive coordinator, is on the list as well. Uh, also, Dan Quinn, defensive coordinator for the Cowboys, who I think is probably in line for coordinator of the year, but it didn't really inspire too many. Uh, people down in Atlanta did he, when he was the top dog. And interestingly, Vance Joseph getting another look. Uh, he was the defensive coordinator for the Cardinals, who obviously ran the Broncos for one season. So um, some names there, uh, familiar names for us. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what the Dolphins do. But yeah, such a shame for Flores, who, in, with interesting turns just before we came on air, might actually land on his feet. Um if you're setting me up there, Sai, uh, hoping that I know how he might land on his feet, I'm afraid I'm going to let you down. Go on. Oh, what, throw it, throw it to Sam. Sam might know. Here we go. Oh, oh Sam. Sam. Well, throw it to Sam. Well, you're all going to be referring to a different job I've heard him linked with than uh, the other, I assume. Um, but you were talking about the Houston Texans just uh, position, again, somewhat surprisingly, somewhat outrageously, along with uh, Brian Flores' position, is there... Uh, vacated as of about half an hour ago, I think, before recording, wasn't it? An hour or so back. Um, I mean, Sai wants to talk about this. He was talking before we came on. He's uh, he's very angry about this decision, and it is an appalling one. But, yeah, Cully's been sacked after a, 
well, four wins this season where they were supposed to get none uh, if they were lucky. Uh, and the Texans have been looking like a pretty decent football team. <laughs> pretty decent football team this last month or so. So to have them just the, the, you know, the trigger fired on him now as well, you think, oh, he survived uh, Black Monday or Black Sunday, whatever it is nowadays, and it will give him a little go at it, see what the run out is on the rebuilds. They've just, uh, yeah, shot him off and, yeah, starting again from scratch again. Uh, well, it just continues down in Texas, doesn't it? Oh, Houston, sorry, the Texans. Bizarre. Not not really sure, Si, what more Cully could have done to, to keep that job. It, it sort of makes you feel like he was he was always in place as a, as a patsy, always intended to be one and done. We've been saying that since the day he was hired, haven't we? He was a left field hire from the start, a guy we'd never really come across very well. Wide receivers coach for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, never had a head coach job before, pushing late 50s, almost 60. You know, and it was his last shot of being a head coach, and of course he was going to take it. You know, that was the job there for him. And the players loved him. Uh, Justin Reed's come out and tweeted that he's absolutely gutted that, that Cully's gone. I don't really, don't really understand what the Texans would have considered an achievement this season, you know, what were they, what the barometer for success was. Because this is successful any way you shake it. And it's it leaves a sour taste in the mouth, doesn't it? That's the that's the worst thing about it is that they knew that we were going to do this all along. It was a bit stupid. They gave him a five-year contract, so he's going to get paid for a good while after this. Um, why didn't they give him just a two-year deal or whatever? I don't know. But they certainly... Put him in place whilst they were sorting out all the mess at the back of the front office. Whilst they hired the new GM, Nick Casario. You know, a guy, like you say, a patsy, just to sit there and ride out the Deshaun Watson mess, if you can. Uh, and come out of this with an easy fire and a new guy that they actually want in place. And hopefully, you know, things will sort themselves out by then. Well, bad news. Nothing's really sorted itself out. And the, co- the coach you hired to look bad, look good. So now you look like the villains once again. An absolute clown car organisation. Um the rumour is, of course, that Nick Casario has worked with Brian Flores uh, before. Now he's straight to the top of their uh, wanted list. So maybe the fact that he got fired by the Dolphins changed the Texans' mind. Maybe we're being a bit harsh. Don't know. Um, the other name I would keep an eye out for, and I've not seen this written anywhere, but Josh McDaniels has got to be uh, on the hit list. You know, the links with the Patriots are just so obvious. The guy is one of the most talented play callers and offensive schemers in the league. You know, they've got a very young quarterback there who's proven that he can probably play in this league. You know, an excellent third-round draft pick there. So, don't be surprised if they, tr- if they try and tempt Josh McDaniels away. We know it'll take a lot for McDaniels to leave the Patriots, but the Texans might be the spot for him. So, it'll be interesting to see. I think one, one point I, w- I would have added to, to the, the, Brian, the Brian Flores discussion we were having is um, there seems to be a, a, a complete... Um, disconnect with Dolphins wanted and what they went out and, and got from the start because we've seen this a little bit with, with I suppose, the Bill Belichick and um, the coaching tree. If you go out and bring bring somebody in from um, uh, the Belichick set-up, they're going to have the Belichick mentality. They're going to want to be oversee most of that football operation, aren't they? You know, we saw that with what happened with Bill O'Brien and in, in Houston, and and from what I've been reading, um, it seems though Flores wanted that that power down in Miami. He wanted to be able to to, to run this team his way. The problem you then seem to have in Miami is you've got this this situation. You know, you've got Chris Greer, the GM, 
and you've got a very hands-on involved owner in, in, in Stephen Ross and apparently decisions they wanted to make about Deshaun Watson, maybe Flores didn't agree with it. And, and the phrase that keeps coming out of it uh, is, is power struggle. And it, it just, even though it, it went on for three years, it feels like maybe this was just due from the start that if you're going to go out and get a Belichick guy, you're going to have to let the Belichick guy do it the, the Belichick way. To an extent, I mean, you can expect the Belichick guy to adapt to you as well. That's mm. an important part of being a head coach. You got, um, but yeah, there is the, the whole thing about that floor is on footballing terms, it feels like a very bad uh, bad call. But if there's, we don't know about, like you say, the power struggle and everything behind the scenes. Um, so perhaps it was perhaps it was a fair enough shout on on those terms. You got to choose between your GM and your head coach and go with your GM, I suppose. Just the one when Ty was setting up, but he's got a a job lined up or going land on his feet. The one that I'd, rumor I'd heard him with, uh, move on to another team, is the New York Giants. He's a new, I think Flores is a native New Yorker, isn't he? And people are making some easy connections there as well. And obviously Joe Judge, uh, despite assurances as little as two weeks ago, uh, that he was perfectly well sat in that job. And I think he's, he just went out on week 18 and tried to get fired, didn't he? And he <laughs> Finally, did I, some bizarre play calls in that game? Uh, I think it might have just been the straw that burnt the camels back in New York. Well, you, are you telling me, Sam, that a, a quarterback sneak on on third and long isn't the, the way forward in football in twenty twenty one? Well, perhaps it perhaps it was worth <laughs> a try and see exactly what would happen because uh, sort of thing I do on uh, Madden that just to just to wind Simon up, but uh, uh, bizarre, wasn't it? But uh, but I think the right call in the end, I mean, it was stranger that he'd been given the assurance that you're here for another year for some reason. Sorry, I don't think anyone, no one's upset, are they? Hmm. No, I, I, I certainly don't, I don't think so. And it, it, you know, I mean, whether you could say it was progress in his first year in New York, that the defence seemed to be playing better. I think it's a bit of a stretch, isn't it, to be fair? But it did all just seem to fall apart again this year. But Sai, was it also... Did he... Some of the comments in, in press conferences, um, some of that stuff about calling out Washington before this final game of the season, you know, oh, well, we don't, we're not, a, essentially saying we're not a clown car organisation, we don't have players fighting on the sidelines. There's a big thing in this about the Giants wanting, you know, the classy organisation and, 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 and the scrutiny that the press will give you in New York. Is, is there an element of Joe Judge almost embarrassing the franchise, not just on the field, but, but off it as well. Yeah, no, I, I think he's um, he's abrasive. I think he's a bit cocksure. He's got this kind of like Bro- Brooklyn, almost like hardness to him that he likes to get out there every opportunity. He thinks he's Mark Wahlberg or something at every opportunity. It's a bit, it just seems a little bit naive. Um, it, was, it didn't just really click at all, did it? Let's be honest. And uh, think what you want about Obviously, you know, his, his tenure as head coach there. Would anybody else have done any different in the scenario? I don't know. The defence has got better. I think all the credit needs to go to Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator for that. And I think he's done an excellent job. And uh, if it wasn't such a... I would argue it's almost toxic now, like that that whole coaching staff and regime that they can't probably promote from within. They probably have to get clean house and go out there, especially with a new GM coming in because they've basically forced Gettleman into retirement. But the biggest... The, Look, the biggest change for the Giants is going to have to come at the top. You know, you can't have Steve Tisch 
John Mara making these decisions about who they're hiring. It's too old school. I mean, look at the names we've had now. Obviously, he was the he was the guy before the uh, Vikings OC, Pat Shermer, and then Ben McAdoo. You know, even Tom Coughlin was a bit old school, wasn't he? You know, he he, he had to change his ways to to be a success in in New York. They they need to move with the times. They need to get out of this idea that it's this old school, hard nosed graft, and that'll get you there. It won't. You know, it absolutely won't. They've landed on the feet a couple of times with Coughlin and with Bill Parcells as head coach, but ultimately they've not been a very successful football team outside of those two periods. And um, a complete rethink, I think, is needed. So it'll be interesting to see the target. Let's have a look what they've got here. List of, they've requested interviews for the GM spot, uh, assistant GM Joe Shearn in, in Buffalo, who's had a couple of interviews in the past, and Chiefs uh, player personnel guy uh, Ryan Poles. That'd be quite cool. Um and what about the coaches? Let's have a look here. Who have we got? Have they requested anybody on that one at the moment? I don't think they have, actually. I think so. It looks like they're going to go and get a GM first and then let him do the hiring, which makes sense, but also is problematic if you you might miss out on one of the best guys. You know, we've seen we've seen some teams like the Chargers stump for Brandon Staley very quickly because they don't want anybody else to come, come for him. That's the benefit of having a GM in place when you do it. Having to wait for a GM to be hired before you go and get your guy. A little bit more tricky because obviously some of the better names out there might have already gone by then. But probably better to play it safe and take your time and get the right guy in anyway. But um, yeah, it's. I mean, if it was this year, if it wasn't this year, it was probably going to be next year, wasn't it, for him to be out the door in New York? So I mean, it, it's a, it's not an attractive job, is it, boys? Yeah, really, it's not an attractive job. We've got two two top ten picks in the draft, haven't they? I think. Well, there's that, um, there's that, but I mean, the roster itself is old. Place to go on, but yeah, there's, injury prone. Like I said, they haven't been drafting very well for the last few years. Part of Gettleman's, uh, like I say, enforced retirement, probably. Uh, but I don't know. It's still the New York Giants. Yeah. Still, you know, yeah. At the end of the day, they are one of the bigger teams, you know, name-wise. So, but yeah, the Danny Dork's question is, isn't going away. <laughs> so that's one of the first things to address. Well, if, if I can go back to my uh, my Glastonbury analogy, uh, we we're talking about uh, setting our, our line-up. And uh, as you know, Sam, uh, I think late late Sunday afternoon is uh, is the so-called legend spot. We get some uh, some Al Bugger, who's, who's uh, his best, best days are behind him, trot him out and play a few tunes. And maybe that's the appropriate spot to uh, slide in uh, Mike Zimmer in, in this discussion. Vikings head coach. Um who, who's on his way after seven years in, in Minnesota. Uh, and, and Rick Spielman, the, the GM, following him out the door as well. 16 years he'd been at the franchise. Um, I think he'd been GM for the last 10 or so. Uh, just feels like uh, just time to move on, I guess, Sam. Time to, to freshen things up. Zimmer's, you know, time in charge. Um Good, but not great. They they did make that one NFC Championship game, of course. But uh, a feeling maybe Sam that that the football had, had passed him by. He was famously cantankerous. Maybe that just wears a little thin uh, by the end. Possibly. I mean, we we went in this bit last week, didn't we? Where we think they probably were just due, like I say, a bit of a freshen up. It had been there a while and probably not done too much wrong, really, uh, without doing too much right at the same time. So he, Came close, nearly had that glorious run with the uh, the miracle against uh, New Orleans and everything, where you know they were looked like they were going to get the home 
victory in the Super Bowl for a little while, didn't it? It seemed like everything, all the stars were aligning for them. They had an excellent team that year and just didn't quite get over the line. And then from there, they've sort of regressed quite a, quite a bit to just showing flashes of that rather than having anything sustained. And yeah, perhaps it just gets to the point where you're better off just, I mean, taking the GM out as well, but I haven't been there so long, but it feels like maybe you just you didn't need the whole lot wiping clean, but sometimes you do just need to get a broom through and, and we'll uh, take a year off or so and really try and get back with a bit of excitement up in uh, Minnesota. But I think it's, it's been a, a, a good career without being stellar, to be fair to Zimmer. Uh, defense, defensive coordinator job maybe for him, Si, or, or do you think he's had the... He's had the head coaching seat for so long now he he, he wouldn't fancy uh, taking a, a a job lower down the hierarchy. Oh no, I think he would. I think he's football through and through, um, and one of the great best defensive coordinators in the league before he got the job at Minnesota. He, he coached the Cowboys and the Bengals, and really raised those defense defenses to excellent levels. I think top five defenses the both of them. So that's impressive, and you know, I think teams will take a shot on him. I think his record compared to someone like Dan Quinn. As a head coach, it's better than that. You know, he didn't. He, had, he never won less than seven games in a season. Didn't Mike Zimmer in eight years in Minnesota? Seventy-four, fifty-nine, and one. How many people get fired with that record? Not many. You know, um, obviously three playoff seasons for Minnesota. Who aren't? You know, in our time, ten years before Zimmer, we got there. They're not particularly playoff football team, are they? You know, dislodged Green Bay after North twice. That's no easy a mean feat when they've got Aaron Rodgers there. So. Yeah, I mean, we know why he's gone. There was a malaise around the team, wasn't it? It was a bit snarky, a bit grouchy. It felt like a change was needed. And I'm a bit surprised that Rick Spielman went with him, the GM, because uh, he's been very successful. I mean, you only have to look at the talent on that roster to know that guy can scout, he can draft, and he can play the free agency market as well. I mean, let's not forget, you know, it's not easy for a team like the Vikings who have success without a quarterback to go and get a franchise quarterback. And say what you want about Kirk Cousins. He's not great on Case Keenum. And he's, you know, certainly got the talent to get a, a talented roster around him to the Super Bowl. So, you know, he, he seems to kind of do everything he, he could possibly do. But like you say, maybe just time's clean house really for the for the Vikings. And I haven't, I haven't looked at the list of who they are uh, hiring. I don't think they will hire a head coach until they get the GM in. I think it's the right way to it. But it wouldn't surprise me if it was a bit more of an established head coach because Ziggy Wills' last three hires have all been quite old guys. They had, uh, obviously, Zimmer, Leslie Frazier before him, and Brad Childress before that. So... Look for an older guy, maybe. Maybe someone a bit easier to get on with than Zimmer. You know, someone like Doug Peterson or Jim Caldwell might get a shout. Uh, that would that would make sense. And it might... Both of those characters could help with that uneven offence too. So, um, pe- perhaps their names to look out for. Uh, back in the day, Sam, Hale and Pace were, were, were quite the combination. And uh, McCaskey's in Chicago decided that Nagy and Pace... Uh, weren't so much anymore and uh, both of them are on their way another gm and head coach combo going out of the nfc north um our mate uh fineman kev sam big bears fan very very happy man he was this week when he when he heard the news Uh, the champagne cups were were popping in the fineman's uh station and they were up and down the pole if they they still have poles they still have fineman's poles maybe they've taken them out well, something for you to find out, Rob. Um, I, I I saw that he was a bit... Yeah, I'll, I'll do some... Anyway. I saw he was a bit strange after the full-time whistle on Sunday night. I think it made him wait. I think certainly uh, 
one one Bears fan who couldn't get him out of the door quick enough. So I don't think he was on alone in that. Um, but yeah, it it just never it's just never worked for Nagy. I I, I say I've been uh, ragging on for a long time. I think he's had a season more than he probably is uh, he he's earned uh, maybe. Um, and this is a plum job now. They we're talking about people taking on here. They have got the that quarterback set for next season looks an absolute, uh, you know, stunning guy there. So, and I like the defense has gone down a little bit. Players on there, and you've still got a decent setup. And obviously, again, a big old name in Chicago, um, Chicago, you know, the famous Chicago Bears, the monster uh, midway. So, it's a, it's a real, uh, a real seat to come into. I think there'll be a lot of uh, a lot of people wanting to interview for it. Uh, I don't know what size got on that uh, on that front. Um, go on, Sai. Oh, Sai, I think you're on mute, my man. I am on mute. Uh, I, was yeah. doing, I was doing a burp, so I didn't want to uh, put it on the podcast. <laughs> it's too much beer. Um, the usual names. So, uh, Todd Bowles, Baron Leftwich, both coordinators from the Buccaneers. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett from the Packers. Imagine that. The Green Bay Packers offensive coordinator going to the Bears and being the head coach. Uh, and Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator for the Colts as well, has been requested for an interview. I would, I mean, I, don't get me wrong, they're going to get a GM in anyway, so the, but the, their opinion will count for more than mine. But you've got a quarterback like Justin Fields who's got all this potential in the world, but he's a very unique kind of quarterback, someone who will probably need an offense tailored around him and, and will certainly need that offensive line building in front of him to protect him because he's got a long wind up on his throw. Why don't they go and have, have, have a quick word with Greg Roman, offensive coordinator down at, uh, Baltimore. He's tailored an offense for Lamar Jackson that's very successful. Before that, offensive coordinator in San Francisco did the same thing for Colin Kaepernick. I think that's a perfect marriage for me. I think that's a great shout. But um, yeah, like it's, it is a big job. I think the Vikings and the Chicago Bears jobs are two jobs that people will look at and think Aaron Rodgers, not long left in Green Bay. A prime opportunity here to, to get a, a historic franchise in a winning position with half semi-decent rosters and Relatively patient owners, I think. It, I think these are both the best jobs going at the moment. Far be it, far be it for me to be ageist, but sh- should the Bears fans be a little concerned that um, the people making the decision on who to bring in, um, there's nobody under the age of eighty, I, I think, making these decisions. You know, Virginia McCaskey, bless her, is ninety-eight years old. Am I making too much of that sigh, or is there something there? No, I think you are. They'll be well advised. There'll have people in the front office who aren't tied into the GM. Who will, they'll be their guys, and they'll they'll be certainly advised. In a lot of these, um, remember the Lions had a similar situation, didn't they? And uh, they kind of got like a an outside external company to help them um, cherry pick some guys, you know, for a different range of backgrounds and obviously styles and things like that. So um, it'd be interesting to see the order they do things. The, the Bears might go a different direction. They might get their head coach in and find someone who can work with him because uh, they've obviously got that young quarterback, they want a specific style of head coach, and we've seen that happen before as well. So it will be quite interesting to see how it works. But um, no, I, don't, I won't put too much stock into the fact that uh, it's a, <laughs> the, ownership, the ownership is akin to a retirement home over at uh, Chicago. Bless them. Uh, well, reti- speaking of retirement homes, uh, <laughs> Vic Vanjo's not probably far off, is he? To be fair to him, old Vic. Uh, well, he, technically, Sam, he, he was the first casualty of... of Black Sunday slash was it was it Black Saturday night I think maybe for for Vic but uh, the Broncos um, never made the playoffs 
in, in the four, in the four years? Three years that he was there. Um, felt like they were improving, but I guess lack of a, a quarterback couldn't really get them uh, over the top. Um, what, what, what do you th- what's your thoughts on this one, Sam? Uh, well, as again, I'm fed up with the Broncos. So it looks like they're improving, <laughs> looking like there might be something next year, maybe. Um, I mean, there's a lot of interest going in there. Aren't they? aren't they on the way to being sold and all of this? And there's quite a few, uh, quite a lot of movement around uh, around that team at the moment. So, um, yeah, the firing of Fangio, like you say, never really, yeah, was, never, never fulfilled the potential that that team probably had. Um, outside of that quarterback position, which is obviously a long-standing problem for for Denver, um, you know, we all knew he was on his way um, probably before yeah. the Sunday games kicked off, um, and uh, I think he's as someone again just didn't quite look like a head coach. Like I said this last week, it's, and maybe would look like a head coach at a different setup, maybe. But you can see he's going to get, you just know he's going to yeah. go the Dan Quinn route, probably get back into a defensive coordinator role, and. Uh, you know, take take that defense you know a long way. I, I, I don't think there's any doubt in his talent on that side of the things, but just not quite making the steps ahead, coach, for yeah. whatever reason. Yeah. yeah, yeah, fair enough. And Sai, I guess uh, general pattern now is in, in charge of going out and getting his man, the first head coaching choice he'll have made as, as GM. Yeah, I do feel a little sorry for Vic Fangio in the fact that you know he has got that defense is playing lights out right now, um, which is interesting considering they've obviously had injuries and. Some people, yeah, a big like turnover, didn't they? Of players, and certainly in the secondary, this uh, second half season, the guy can coach on defense, no two ways about it. Didn't give really given much of a hope on offense when you don't have a quarterback, so a bit harsh, but again, new GM. It, it was you know, everyone wants their own guys, and perhaps Vic Vandio didn't fit into the way they were thinking, but they are rumored to be potentially looking at defensive coordinators for head coaches again. So, Dan, Dan Quinn, as Sam mentioned, he's the hot favorite to get the Denver Broncos job right now. Um, I don't mind it too much. I think if they if they manage to find themselves like a, a, a like a big time offensive coordinator, much in the way that Dallas found a big time defensive coordinator with Dan Quinn this season, it could work. You know, they do that. They still have to get themselves a quarterback. No two ways about it. But names like um, Dan Quinn, obviously Aaron Glenn as well from the Detroit Lions, the defensive coordinator who's create quite a spicy defense <laughs> up in uh, Detroit. If if a little inconsistent, shall we say? Uh, he's got an interview as well, but yeah, there are some offensive names on there as well. Um, Eric Bieniemy, possibly just to satisfy the Rooney Rule, but also to piss off your divisional rivals. Uh, Nathaniel <laughs> Nathaniel Hackett again, his name's popping up a lot this season. Uh, and yeah. Kev, Kev O'Connell, the um, uh, Rams offensive coordinator. It'd be hard to know much about uh, offensive coordinators when your head coach is the guy calling the shots a lot. You know, like um, what's his face, McDaniel's over in. Um, San Francisco as well, isn't it? It's tricky. So um, we'll see about that one. I, I I wouldn't fancy the Broncos' job quite as much as the Vikings or Bears' jobs. It's just, I mean, I know John Elway had a lot to do with that with his hires and his quarterback approach. But and George Payton does come with a good re- uh, reputation over in Minnesota. But for me, it's a it's a little step down, isn't it? And a tough division to compete in when you look at the, how the Chargers and Raiders are elevating themselves, and the Chiefs are going to be the Chiefs for a long, long time. Uh, okay, just a quick roundup of uh, assistant coaches that were that were let go. Uh, Anthony Lynn, uh, bad couple of years for for, for Lynn. He's uh, he's out as the offensive coordinator in Detroit and uh, Carolina. Well, they 
Early this season, of course, they, they got rid of the offensive coordinator. Um, the, the next big thing, um, I forget his name Joe, now, but he was the next. Joe Brady. Brady. Brady, that was the one. Well, they've also fired offensive line coach Pat Myers, special teams coach Chase Blackburn, and defensive line coach Frank Oakham, which means next year Matt Rule will have ran out of scapegoats, and it is all on him. So... There we go. Shall we move on, folks, to a little look ahead to Super Wild Card Weekend? Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll just go through the schedule, shall we? We'll, we'll start uh, with the, the first game on, on Saturday evening. And it is the, the Raiders who make their way to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals uh, after a, well, a, a remarkable late run there. Three games in a row they won, including Cy. We're going to have to talk about it, mate, but we're both here for you, including uh, an unbelievable Week 18 match there uh, against um, the Chargers, where it looked for all the world as though the tie was on, which would have been probably the most fitting end to the 2021 season, wouldn't it have been two teams tying to get into the playoffs and and the camera just staying on that one Pittsburgh fan in the crowd there <laughs> in, in Las Vegas. Uh, but it wasn't to be uh, the uh, a late, uh, well, Daniel Carlson kicking the field goal as time expired. Uh, Sai, another brutal defeat for the Chargers, but, but Justin Herbert was incredible. Obviously, that must give you some, some hopes, confidence, and the fact that when they were 15 points adrift going into the fourth quarter, they didn't just give up, they, they fought back for overtime. And it was a, it was a harsh defeat in the end, uh, but the Raiders have shown unbelievable uh, resilience uh, this season after everything that that they have gone through. Yeah, it wasn't a harsh result in the end. If you look at it from a, a clear perspective, Rob, it really wasn't. We were out completely outplayed by the Raiders in that game. We were under cost from the start. We had a nice ten minute spell in the second quarter where we got on top, and I thought, here we go, we're putting our you know foot on the throats a little bit here, and then inexplicably a massive penalty allowed the Raiders to get a, a touchdown going into the half ahead and then we come out of the third quarter and it was abysmal. The third quarter was mistakes, it was errors and it was and it was they were shut us down. The Raiders didn't deserve a lot of credit. The Raiders defense was playing lights out. And this was against Justin Herbert who as you said was balling. He was the only reason the Chargers were in this, you know. And even when we were 15 points down, that comeback was brilliant. It was fantastic. But it was all, you can only say that in the context that Justin Herbert did that for us. You know, if you look at that, those, both those drives, they were both incredibly unrealistic. You know, like every single sequence went to third or fourth down. It was third and nine, fourth and ten. And he's making stupid throws to the sidelines to Josh Palmer. Or he's hitting Mike Williams through a tight letterbox window in the end zone as time expires to tie it up. You know, these are incredible throws time after time. But we didn't really deserve to be there. I mean, it was a frustrating watch as a Chargers fan. It really was, you know. just It was it was almost like the microcosm of being a Chargers or Preston North End fan in a game. It was like they used to give you that glimmer of hope. And you think, oh, yeah, as, what, as uh, Sam would say. And then they snatched it away. But, um... I'm not too dis. I wasn't too disconsolate. I thought, you know, we didn't deserve to be there at the end of it. I think the Raiders have had a fantastic end to the season and been fair play to him. Uh, the questions will be asked, won't they, about uh, Brandon Staley, his aggressiveness on fourth down. Um, he's not going to change that. He's not going to change that whatsoever. That's the way he is. Even even that one where he went for it on fourth and two in his own 28 yard line or whatever it was. You know, he, that's you. You sign up to Brandon Staley. You have him your head coach. He brings a lot of good things to you. He's going to do that because. 
the metrics say that you should do that. Ask Sam, he'll talk to you about that if you want. But um, he'll learn from the other things. You know, the timeout, absolutely it changed the course of the game. I was sat in a press conference with Ben Rolfe. Um, we were speaking to Urban, the Urban Meyer, who used to be the Jacksonville Jaguars head coach, after they'd beaten... I, I remember him. Yeah, after they'd beaten the Miami Dolphins at Wembley. And, we, and if you remember rightly, at the end of that game, the Dolphins, Brian Flores inexplicably took a timeout with about 15 yeah. seconds left. And yeah. and we asked him, did that change your thought process? And he said, yes, it did. It absolutely did. We decided to go for a short pass and clock the ball and quickly call a timeout and kick a field goal. And Staley will learn that as well. You know, these, he's, he's a young head coach. He's... He's not had all this responsibility before, so it's not just rookie quarterbacks who learn how to how to, how to play the game. Coaches learn on on, on on the job as well, and he'll get better in that regard. But anybody expecting him not to be as aggressive as he is a, a barking at the wrong tree—that's just the way that the charge is going to be going forward. And we'll, and they'll get better doing it as well. You'll you know you compare them to other teams; it might seem aggressive, but the Chiefs do the same thing. They're just better at it. You know they've got better pieces right now. They've got you know more experience in it. So. Going forward, yeah, happy with it. Green shoots and all that, Sam will say, no doubt. But uh, huge credit to Rich Basakia and what he's done with the Raiders because uh, any talk of the Chargers fluffing, it really does them a, uh, an injustice with just how well well they've played this last month and across through the season, really. I mean, not many teams... I know teams have had COVID and injuries and like that, but you talk about adversity, these guys have come through some shit. Do you think, Sam, do you think that's that's the way it was? That, that they... They took that time out, and the Raiders staff sort of took it personally. And went right, okay. Well, we were, we were, we were happy to take the tie. You stopped the clock on third down. You think we're going to put the ball back, and you think you've got a shot at going for the win? Well, do you know what? We'll 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 go for the win ourselves. Possibly. I'm just annoyed that they didn't take the time. I'm absolutely furious this didn't end in a tie dumping out the Steelers. It'd have been uh, <laughs> just it would just been perfect. Uh, outside of the Steelers, everyone else in football wanted that, surely. Um but yeah, that may well have been it. I think just quickly on side, I think there's a lot more than green shoots uh, in uh, Los Angeles that then I will be well short of something disastrous in the next few months, be very high on them. Uh, come August uh, predictions. <laughs> Um, sorry, sir, I'll be cursing you again uh, next season. Um, but yeah, the Raiders, it's been a remarkable sort of end to the season. Like they're going to finish, well, they have finished 10-7, same as the Bengals going into this game, which doesn't quite seem right, does it? No. Um, no. But you're saying they call it a three-game streak. It's a four-game win streak they've gone on. Cleveland, um, Cleveland, Denver, Indianapolis and the Chargers, all by four or less. I think they, like I say, they have just been a, a, a real battling sign, a real battling season that they've just managed to wedge over everyone else without ever having, you know, sustained brilliance or, you know, really looking at the roster, an outstanding roster, you know, a few great players. Hunter Renfrew's uh, been um, superb all season. Uh, and Derek Carr, I think, can, when he's on it, really take a team through. And the, like I say, size says that every so often that defence balls out and they're, you know, real tricky teams to play against. So they, everything's just lined up right for the Raiders, but you feel like, Maybe the wild card might be might be a bit tricky for them. I think with the form the Bengals have been looking at, you know, this last month or so, it does seem like they've got another hot young quarterback uh, to try and uh, to, to try and uh, fend off. And then perhaps this is going to be one one game too far for them on uh, uh, Saturday. I was going to say something Saturday evening. 
I think okay. So should we should we pick it, lads? Should we, will we go for a pick? I, I don't know whether we're rewarding any ballsy callsies in in Super Wildcard Weekend. So uh, yeah, look at him; he's taking his victory on that one and running. Uh, but let, let let's pick him for, for a bit of fun. Uh, Raiders at Bengals. Do you know what? Do you know what? Sod it. I'll, I'll, I'll think there's a bit of voodoo going on down there in Las Vegas. So I'll, I'll, I'll take the Raiders to to claim a a wild card win on the road in Cincinnati. No, it's only taken until Super Super Wildcard Weekend for Wardy to take an unprompted ballsy calls. I tell you that much. Um, <laughs> give me the Bengals. At, I think I don't, this is, this, I've already been on a podcast trying to pick these games, and I, don't, I can't even remember who I went for. The, all these games are going to be fantastic. These um, wildcard games. There's not much in, in it. Um, the Raiders probably couldn't have asked, even though, like Sam says, the Bengals are a very formidable outfit this season. I don't think the Raiders could have asked possibly for a better draw. Yep. If you know what I mean, so it's yeah. it's a tricky one. Um, but I want the Bengals to win because I I think their story is fantastic, and I think Burrow to chase is is something that, that is very difficult to stop. They've got it all on that offense, and the defense is coming along nicely as well. I I really want the Bengals to win this. So I'm going with the Bengals. Yeah, I thought through some of the numbers, especially on offense, they've all they were very similar production stuff out of both of these offenses, uh, with one exception in that. Uh, the Raiders are averaging 22 points a game and Cincinnati is 27.1. I think there's a huge sort of gulf there. And uh, same with the quarterbacks, actually. Carr's outthrown Burrow in terms of yardage, but uh, he's got sort of 10 touchdowns behind. Both the same, both 14 interceptions, interestingly. Okay. Um, yeah, I think the Bengals have been that red zone threat when they've scored when they've, when they've got anywhere near to it. And I think they'll, no we suspect they won't do the same on Saturday. So, Cincy for me. Okay, Pats at Bills for the third time this season. These AFC East foes will meet. The last time they went into Buffalo, uh, Cy, the the Patriots threw the ball three times and uh, ground out a win. And it was all doom and gloom for for Buffalo back then, wasn't it? Uh, Week 13 or 14, I can't quite remember. Uh, But since then, fortunes have have swung somewhat. And um, first to say that the, the Pats... Go into this game, uh, according to, to the to the, uh, the spread at least, as as uh, as, as the underdogs, and um, I suspect that that holds up on on Saturday night. But then you you never rule out a good defensive team that can run the ball in January, as you always tell us. Yeah, it do, it does feel like they're just running a little bit of fumes. The Patriots now, don't they? I think you know. I think it's fair to say that Mac Jones probably had the best rookie uh, rookie quarterback season out of a lot of them this year um, but uh, a couple more areas coming into the game a little bit towards the end and I think more importantly in this contest is that the Bills beat the Patriots in Foxborough two or three weeks ago and it felt like that they were getting a monkey off the back to me it felt like they were just not intimidated by the Patriots anymore you know this is a Bills team that uh, like a lot of teams this season have had, uh, have had some adversity and they have really found their footing and I think they've managed to managed to just like get over it and and they're beyond it now you know i think obviously they've got their own brand of football they can they can play uh play a football they're not necessarily a great running team but they know how to win the playoffs they've done it last season didn't they so it'll be interesting but I, i'm going to go with the bills this one because i think the home advantage is quite critical uh it'll be a, a, a big atmosphere won't it at orchard park on that saturday night late late saturday night game as well I have to stay up for that one. I'd be interested. But yeah, give me the Bills, um, despite my early season prediction of the Patriots going all the way to the Super Bowl. 
And it's funny, Sam, isn't it? Because when we think of the Bills, we we, we do think of the offense, but that defense has been fantastic, as good as arguably any defense going into the uh, the playoffs uh, this time round. Uh, well, yeah, both these teams are fair, but the Bills, uh, I think, ranked first in uh, total yards. Not allowed to say allowed, not allowed. Yeah, Same yeah. with passing. Uh, points uh, and, th- and stops on third downs as well. Uh, their only kind of weakness, it's not a huge one, but it's, it's obviously the chink in the armour that the Patriots are going to uh, be exploiting and, and did uh, in the first game of these two, is, is um, just defence against defending the run. Yeah. Um, and obviously that's kind of the Pats' uh, big uh, ace in the pack on their, on their offence as well. So I think that's where this, this game is going to come down to, is can the Bills just do enough to stop to slow that down, which obviously done before. Um, and if Josh Allen can, I mean, Josh Allen is a big part of their run game on the other side. If he can, if the Pats can't can control a his running and be that cannon of an arm, which obviously the first, when the Bill, when the Pats beat them in the uh, well, the wind bowl, whatever they were calling it, but where he could, uh, when Matt Jones threw it three times uh, because there was forty mile an hour winds or whatever. It, um, Something like that might just, you know, just played into the Patriots' hands. But you just think this time, maybe it's they're not going to get that little advantage. Uh, it's hard to say. But the Bills, on nearly every metric, have been the best team in uh, in the AFC this year. Um, it's remarkable they've only, they've only had eleven wins out of it. You just feel they've took them off the board in a few games that really they had no, just should yeah. not have fought by any stretch of the imagination. And you can't really analyse why they did a few of them. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all, all goes. That defence on you know, secondary, Matt Jones is going to get under ridiculous pressure if he tries to do anything deep. He's going to get picked a few times, I think. All that said, I'm sticking with my pre-season prediction of the Patriots. Ah. Uh, and, and also, there's the whole thing about if Bill Belichick, you know, the more he sees a team, the more he knows how to beat them. He certainly knows on paper how to do it as to whether he can get that team uh, to fully enact his plan. Uh, will be another thing, but I'll, I'll, I'll keep. I'll back the old dog for another uh, another Super Bowl appearance. Still, good for you. Good, you've not jumped ship like Mister Carroll. Uh, I, I will be taking the Bills as well. Thank you very much. Okay, uh, the first game on Sunday: uh, Eagles at Bucks. Uh, well, well, I'll tell you what, say if we were allowing uh, ballsies, I suggest that this would be one. Uh, the spread is eight and a half points. Going uh, to uh, bet three six five. I think we're allowed to, to, to say that, aren't we, Sam? We're allowed to mention gambling companies. Well, I just did, so, hey. Well, if you like, I, I would certainly be back in there. This would be my ballsy cosy without question, without even thinking about it. <laughs> it but, but the subplots here are, are quite interesting, I think, Sam. You, you've got sort of strength on strength. The, the Eagles, one of the best running teams in the league, um, and the the books, one of, if not the best, run defence uh, in the league. But then you've also got the question about who the hell is Tom Brady going to throw the ball to uh, in, in this one? And um, I don't know. I, 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 am I kind of maybe trying to make it sound more exciting than it's, it's going to end up being on, on Sunday evening in Tampa? Yeah, I think you're trying hard. Uh, fair play to you. But um, I see your point. You know, the, the Eagles can run the football. They've got their, an offense of their own that... Whilst it might not be quite as dynamic as the as the Buccaneers or other offenses in the NFL, it's done very well. And I think we've uh, failed to really acknowledge just 
how well a job Nick Sirianni's done in his first season. I'm not saying that the Eagles are a great team. I'm not saying that 9-7 and seven in that poxy division is anything to write home about. But we were all looking at Philadelphia as a really dysfunctional uh, franchise who were bottoming out and loading up. And they've got three first-round draft picks this season. But they're still a playoff team. So all of a sudden, now you've got a team that can make the playoffs and they're going to get better. So fair play to the Eagles. Having said that, the biggest advantage here looks to be, and I don't care who he's throwing the football to, Rob, to be quite frank, uh, is that Buccaneers offence against this Eagles defence. I think they're going to have to wick away with him. All right, throw it to Cyril Grayson, Scotty Miller, to Rob Gronkowski, to um, Johnson. You know, you can get Jalen Darden out there. I'm sure they'll have some names where Brady can throw the football to. He's worked with a lot less in New England successfully, let's just say that. Um, for me, this is quite comfortable. They'll win the Battle of the Trenches, will, will the Buccaneers. They've got a monstrous offensive line which will negate any pressure against uh, Brady and the defensive line will do a serviceable job on any any kind of run game that the Eagles uh, give you. So, sorry, Sam. This is a easy street for the Buccaneers. Oh, Sam. Tom Brady throwing passes in the playoffs. Touchdown passes in the playoffs. It's solid days for you once again, my friend. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't really have anything to disagree with you. I just uh, like I say, Brady... <laughs> Could be on another MVP season as well, couldn't he? He's going way over 5,000 yards, 43 touchdowns. Um, and kind of, and amazing, everyone's isn't it? Just, How does he do it? Well, yeah, well, how does he do it at that age? <laughs> very strange. Very strange. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I have very little reason to start. But I, I've liked the Eagles all, all season, really. I quite I really enjoyed the, like I said, that offense has been quite a fun. Jalen Hurts. So, Gardner Minshew as well, just like thrown into the mix for you, Sam, as well. Yeah, a bit of talk that. And obviously, Devon Smith, I think, has had uh, you know, a really nice uh, rookie season coming out of Bama. Uh, you know, one of my favourite picks of the the, uh, the draft this year. Uh, Dallas got it as well, pretty decent. So I'm just backing the Eagles without any real... You know, there's no great logic behind it. But I quite like the Eagles and I don't like the Buccaneers. Yeah. And that's all I need to say on it. And who, who the hell wants to see the Buccaneers win it again? Not me, so fair hey. enough, isn't it? Do I, what, I'll, I'll tell you how he does it. I was reading into this, the old, uh, how he does it is is water with electrolytes and no mushrooms. That's the key. That's the, the heart of the TB12 diet, Sam. Well, fascinating stuff. Um, <laughs> as simple as that, water with no mushrooms means you can... What, no, 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 water, electrolytes. Get those electrolytes in the water, Sam, and no mushrooms. Yeah, I'm pretty sure electrolytes is just salt. Um, <laughs> Essential uh, minerals, mate. Uh, no mushrooms is a deal breaker for me. Fuck that. There you go. Well, that's why you lads will not be throwing for five thousand yards at the age of forty-four. Forty-four. I don't think it's just the mushrooms. No, probably not. Right. Okay. Now hit tie of the round. Maybe I'm biased. I don't know. Um, Sunday. Definitely biased. Yeah, definitely biased, but so it, it it brings back memories, doesn't it, Simon? For from a time when, well, 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 when none of us were watching NFL football, but when a lot of people were, the heydays of the eighties and nineties, the Niners and the Cowboys, the storied franchises who met many a time in the playoffs, they're going to go at it again in Jerry World as the Niners come to town. Um, fascinating, fascinating this one, and in. Um, yeah, I'm not going to lie. When I saw it, it was the Cowboys that the Niners had to, to, to face. The thought of that defence against Jimmy G did scare me. But, again, 
I was very, very impressed with, with what I saw from Jimmy uh, in the closing stages of that game on Sunday. As Cy will attest, didn't think he, 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 he had that in him, uh, but he got the job done. Uh, and, 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 you know, that the, the defence, the Niners' defence itself has, has, has stepped up at times this season. You're coming up against probably the best defence in the league, to, to be fair. Um, but you're going in there with a decent defence of your own. Uh, that can certainly get at Dak Prescott. Uh, tricky one, Sai. Go on, I'll let, I'll let you lead off on this. Uh, well, uh, yeah, it, it, you're right. Iconic matchup, isn't it? And you, and you can see why, just to keep it in that traditional vein, that the NFL decided that this is the Nickelodeon game. So that makes sense. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, I mean, similar to the, the Raiders, I think you you should be quite happy with this outcome in terms of who you play. You know, I mean, the choices were the Buccaneers, the Cowboys, the Rams. Um, maybe take the Rams again, but a bit close, and you, you often see those games flip themselves. Probably a good thing to stick out away from any uh, NFC West opponent. I think the, the Cowboys should have taken. You know, they had. I mean, and not really for if you look talent on talent. We can always look at these numbers and we say, oh, this offense, that offense. You know, the Cowboys year in year out don't do very well in the playoffs when they get there. That's, they've got they've got to get over that hump. They really do. And I'm not saying they can't do this season. They've been a good football team this season. That defense is absolutely boring. And, you know, Mike, rookie of the year, Mikey, Micah Parsons, for me, has been phenomenal. He's, he's going to be an all-pro as a rookie. He play, he play, He's played three different positions for them this season. Yeah. It's, it's insane. Yeah. What he's done is insane. Um, but you're right. The, the 49ers did flash. They flashed against the Rams. Uh, and they've shown some good consistency. And I'm not sure... Uh, in the, if you can say for certain, but for me, Debo Samuel is one of the most dangerous offensive weapons in the NFL the last month. Uh, and it's something that teams haven't really woken up to yet. They don't know how to quite key on to him, you know. And that, it'd be Dan Quinn's as good as anybody at being able to scheme a play out of the game, but he's got his hands full with Debo. And, um, and of course, if you start taking pieces away and looking after Debo, then who's going to look after George Kittle? You know, they've got other options. You can run the football. They've got, obviously, Brandon Ayuk as well. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting football game. I can smell an upset here. Uh, I think the Dallas Cowboys are the favourites. Um, but I've got questions about Zeke and if they can run the football. So, for me, the 49ers, I think, are going to sneak it. Oh, here we go, Sam. i tell you what, though. Debo, Debo is my favourite player. You know, Sammy, he, he can catch a touchdown pass. He can rush for a touchdown. And we saw in, in that game against the Rams, he, he can throw a touchdown. He's he's Superman, Sam. That's what he is. Uh, yeah, he's a remarkable player. Uh, I, I'm not going to undermine it. Taste a hill the second. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say that. I just sound bad. Um, <laughs> But uh, I mean, it's borderline MVP discussion, really. I know he obviously is in a position that gets overlooked for that, but I think you know his contribution to that team has been, you know, huge. Uh, uh, you know, just huge. Um, and like I said, it is very interesting, and just the way these two are going to match up. They, that Cowboys defense, I think that, like you say, they're quite, especially uh, with Michael Parsons, like I say, very sort of flexible. The modern defenses now, how they're going to scheme against a very flexible offense in, in San Francisco is going to be fascinating and, and kind of a little bit vice versa as well. Um, little nugget that I found, this is why, this is how I'm going to pick it, is some third down stats for you. Uh-huh, that, his favorite. Well, Dallas defense, I think they're ranked, I think the second best on this, on third downs, 
they'll, they'll stop you. Uh, whereas the offence, San Francisco, where they convert on 40.2% of theirs. And I just wonder if that, that kind of, uh, if that just plays out a little in this game as well. Yeah. Uh, like so on, on that basis alone, I'll say it's, it's really, this is a very tight, very interesting game for sure. I will go with the home side. <laughs> and they've got a head coach who knows how to uh, how to win these games, of course. Both teams have. Very good. Very yeah, good. Should we get Mike, Mike McCarthy's inside knowledge of playoff games? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, let, let's just say, uh, ooh, as a close. Well, look, the, the Niners' run defense is, is pretty good. I suspect there's a chance of us taking away the run. And then you're putting the ball into into the hands of, of Dak Prescott, who... I think under the radar has had a pretty disappointing season uh, this he's year. Been, he's got the highest rating of any quarterback in the league, I think. Passive rating. Really? 37 touchdowns. Right. He's got 104.2 rating this, this year. Nah, I think he's doing okay. I think he's doing okay. I, I can see okay. what you're saying. Like, everyone expects the world from Dallas Cowboys, and it's because he's got all those weapons, he's got that run game, he's got offensive line. But, I mean, ultimately... Yeah. You know, there's only so much you can do, and you're not going to do it consistently. That 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 game they dropped against Denver was atrocious, wasn't it? I think you, you, the the bad moments which every team's had this season just seem to be magnified for the for the Cowboys somewhat. Yeah, you know, let's not forget you know, it's his first season back from a horrendous it's, injury, it's, it's, injury as well. Yeah, I'm say comeback, comeback player of the year for sure. It no, is. It's 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 a funny one with Dak. You know, if he if he was wearing purple and had them eight on his back i suspect the conversation <laughs> might be quite different but uh, there you go um, <laughs> you know what? do you know what i'm gonna go niners because hell why not why not now give me the it now give me the cowboys instead. In, in red and gold uh sunday night football uh, how about them pittsburgh steelers today sam uh, they are uh, the spread is 13 as they go into Kansas City where they were swatted about 38-3 or something, I think it was, a couple of weeks back. Um, the most unlikely of, of scenarios played out, didn't it, on, on, on Sunday. Uh, and this maybe, lads, is a chance for us to talk about, you know, one of the, the all-time, you know, last week of the season upsets when we talk about what the Colts ended up doing in Jacksonville to even give Pittsburgh the opportunity to take this. They had to go into Baltimore. They're, they're fierce rivals. Um, and, and, and sort of Big Ben playing what we all thought would be his, his last game. Uh, nope, it turns out that, that he's got one more. Um, great drama, I thought, week 18. Let's have a quick word on the Colts, lads, because um, I feel like we should probably be talking about them. We haven't, we haven't mentioned them yet. It's got to be one of the, what, Top five, sort of um, blowing up. Yeah, bottle jobs is the word I was looking for. Sam, go on. Well, it, they had to win one of the last two games. What Jacksonville and who was it the week before? Las Vegas Raiders. Raiders. Yeah. Raiders. Yeah, I know Raiders. Well, it's been bigging them up a little bit, but that was a bit. They, they really should have won one of those games, if not two, just to get guarantee. You know, placing that playoffs. And the fact they couldn't get it together is. Uh, it's a real stain on them. And I think they, they all need to have a bit long hard look in the mirror and see where, why they're in that situation. Uh, Carson Wentz, uh, possibly more than anyone else, um, doing Carson Wentz things as he's, uh, as he's known to do. I suppose at that point I said, well, did we expect anything else when, you, when he was uh, brought across? Was that really the best option for them? Do they think he was going to end up any other way? 
not that saying it's necessarily ended, of course, but um, yeah, he's just got all the he's just got these mistakes in him that you just know it's going to happen. He's going to let them down, you know, when it's been in his hands. He's let them down at the end, and, and they're fairly fairly easy spots. Um, I don't know where they go from that. I don't know. Is he gonna, are they going to be able to move on for him? Is he there for next year? But it does seem like that's a very obvious uh, problem for the Colts. Yeah, uh, obvious problem, absolutely, Sam. Uh, but aside, I mean, it, it, it was it was the whole team on Sunday. It felt like you know Jonathan Taylor couldn't get it going. The the defense couldn't make a play against one of the worst offenses in the league. It was it was just horrible all around. Uh, the Colts haven't won in Jacksonville since 2014, which is uh, quite a stat, isn't it? Because they play them every year. So that that's uh, that was a thing that, that we probably most people overlooked. I wouldn't say it's a reason why they should have lost. They should have very much should have won this game in the Apple's Colts, particularly if you think they're a, a football team ready to challenge for the playoffs. You know, they can't beat the Raiders, that's one thing. But then you can't beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. You don't deserve to be there. Um, they've got problems. They've got problems um, across the board. To some extent, the defence has been in fits and starts this season, although for the most part, you expect them to come good. Um, but it's all... it's down. They were beaten in the trenches by the Jacksonville Jaguars on the weekend. You know, the offensive line, Quentin Nelson was mauled about. You just don't expect that. I know he's obviously been banged up a bit this season, but come on. You know, no one showed up really. But yeah, Wentz is the, is the hot potato. You know, he <laughs> he cost them two first-round picks. You know, they, they've just... No, so they've cost him a first-round pick and a second-round pick because he played over a certain amount of games. So they've lost their first-round pick now to the Eagles. He must be laughing all the way to the bank with that trade. That's absolutely daylight robbery. And then you've got um, Chris Ballard coming out today and saying that um, he's not going to stand there and, and say who's going to be back next year, but they have to play better at quarterback. And uh, saying that he, he doesn't regret the trade uh, uh, you know, even now is what he said. But uh, yeah, Carson Wentz has to take the layups. You know, he, he's one of those quarterbacks out there who can, who, who can make unbelievable throws, maybe like the only one to, or two other quarterbacks can make. But he can't do layups, essentially, is what he was saying. He doesn't take what's there. And Wentz was a big problem with this game. I mean, you can't always rely on a run game. We know he gets taken away. And obviously, Jonathan Taylor was stymied this game. But that's probably an indictment of the offense without him then. Because if, if, yeah, if Jonathan Taylor hadn't been Jonathan Taylor for the last eight weeks... How far away would this Colts team have been? We we all consider this yeah. Colts team probably along the same levels as the Titans going going into this season. You know, similar kind of level. Yeah, it was always a toss up, isn't it? Who's going to win? Who's going to win the AFC yeah. South? The Colts or the Titans? Yeah. Well, quite frankly, they're on two different levels right now. Um, the quarterback's the problem. It's been a problem since Frank Wright's got there. He's been unfortunate in that regard. Uh, but you know, I think they've got good infrastructure. I don't think they're too far away, and I think Wentz has to stay. You can't make all that. Trade all that capital away and bid him off after one season. I think he's here, he's there for next year, and that's that. So they'll have to live with him and get him better. Uh, it's down to the coaches to do that. But for me, yeah, it was a, they dropped a bollock big time on Sunday. They'll be ruining it. They'll be absolutely ruining that performance because you know the playoffs were there to be taken. And just one more thing about the Steelers: they didn't actually need the Colts to lose. The Steelers just need to win, and then hope that you know one of the. Raiders or Chargers didn't win, uh, didn't didn't tie basically. It would have been a problem if the Colts had won for them. It was the Ravens who needed the Colts to win, and then they also needed the Dolphins to lose. Uh-huh. And um, I expected the Ravens to beat the, the Steelers. I really did. <laughs> Absolutely ruined your eight eight and one uh, uh, scenario, didn't you, mate? I couldn't uh, believe it. Gutted. Absolutely gutted. I was. I thought it was. Delighted. You were fucking delighted, weren't you, Sam? I saw your face. Uh, but you've got to say, Sam. I mean. 
to, to Mike Tomlin and, and the job that he's done this mm-hmm. season, and we talk about culture in, in a locker room and, and, and a winning mentality, and with, with a quarterback who, who's sort of falling apart at the seams, um, he's never had a losing season in, in Pittsburgh, and he, he's been there 13 years, something like that, I think now. Uh, it's it's remarkable, really. Uh, yeah, it's why on earth is sort of quite, there was always questions on him, wasn't there? Like the, uh, during the close, the close season last year, so the sort of, is it time to move on? And and it's, we all said there, it's like ridiculous to be commenting on it. And he's just come out and proved any of his doubters wrong again. He, doesn't, he probably doesn't need to keep doing it, but he does keep doing it. Um, and we, well, I just know, when we look back at Steelers on week, what was it, three or four, when they look like that, they really look shambolic. The defense wasn't quite clicking. Ben looked like he was not going to make the end of the season, um, and quite a lot of credit to him actually for yeah. for the way he has um, uh, carried on through through this. <laughs> obviously, through his limitation, through age creeping up on him. Uh, it, I say creeping. Um, <laughs> that's not the right term. Mugging. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's huge credit to him. We get that. the defense the way it is. I mean, he's obviously got some great pieces on there, but they just played. Just fantastically, every nearly every year he's been there. I think that Steelers D is always pretty formidable. Uh, yeah, huge, huge credit to him. Huge credit to a lot of the members of the, that team, really, for getting them into a position to get absolutely walloped by the Chiefs uh, on on Sunday night. Unfortunately, this is the one game I didn't take any notes on going, but like didn't bother looking at it because the differences are quite stark, and I just don't see. Even with the Steelers, they get disrupting the Chiefs as much as they possibly can. I don't think the offense is going to be able to get anything much, land much on the Chiefs D the way they've been playing recently. Especially, um, yeah, especially with the uh, oh, I remember his name all the time, but their defensive coordinator, uh, um, Steve Spagnola. Spags, um, you know, he's going to be licking his lips with uh, controlling uh, Roethlisberger, even if uh, Najee Harris. You know, I think you're going to take that weapon away quite easily, um, as, as good a season as he has had. So, yeah, this uh, this feels like the mo- most one-sided one to me, but that's probably my Buccaneers bias creeping in there, but still. Well, let, 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 let's see what Mr. Carroll thinks. I mean, the Steelers, T, you know, TJ Watt, arguably Defensive Player of the Year, tying Michael Strahan's sacks record. There's something that's going for them. Najee Harris, who... You know, at one point in the season, people were thinking as he hit the rookie wall, he, he smashed the rookie wall down and he's, he's carried on running uh, all day. Fair play to him. Um, Pat Fryermuth emerging as a, as, a, as a quality option there at tight end. So, any, what can the Steelers do, if anything, in, in this game to, to make it a competition and potentially extend Big Ben's career one more game? Uh, at least. Uh, no, dose. Kansas City with a bout of COVID or something. There's not much going for them in this game in terms of matchup. There really isn't. Uh, the Chiefs are going to stomp them. Absolutely stomp them because the Chiefs' defence has probably been a bit more impressive than their offence as this season. That's saying something, isn't it? Um, and Big Ben, I mean, he's he's, he's got... I think, he's, I think it's fair to say he's got through games this year. You know, I think, <laughs> I think that's probably the way you would put it. There's no getting through against the Chiefs, is there? He's got to keep up with Paddy Mahomes. And he's facing a... a that defense, no, not for me. Sorry, lads. Um, honestly, I, I'm pleased for Mike Tomlin more than anything else. There's nothing much to like about Big Ben as a person, is there really? But uh, Mike Tomlin, there is. The Steelers organization is pretty classy. You know, this is Mike Tomlin. 
Gets no credit whatsoever. Absolute disgrace that he gets no credit. I mean, he's, he put up with bloody Antonio Brown for nine years. Never heard a peep out of the guy. You know, who else could do that? He's burned, he's burned bridges at three different franchises since then, like three years. So, uh, for me, he's uh, unparalleled in terms of... It's hard to get that longevity nowadays in any sport, isn't it? It really is. So, um, yeah, fair play to Mike Tommy, but sadly, this is where the road ends for the, for the Steelers and uh, the Chiefs march on to divisional weekend once again. Okay, and the final game of the weekend, the, the first wild card game on Monday Night Football for quite a while anyway. I'm not sure exactly what the, what the year is, but it's the first one for a while. Um, it's the second all divisional uh, matchup of wild card weekend, and it takes place in the NFC West, Sam. And it's uh, it's a fascinating one between two sides who, who you know first eight games into the season were pulling up trees and we were saying look at these offences explosive and and the defence as well to be fair were, were, were bringing the heat and it feels like they've sort of both limped over the line would that would that be fair to say that the Cardinals taking on the Rams in LA uh, yeah certainly both run out of steam isn't it I mean it is very interesting there's only so much you can say about these look a lot as well a week four, they first met, didn't they? It was uh, that was in LA in Arizona. This is when they sort of that was their big, the first statement win of the season. Thirty-seven twenty, really looked like, oh, hang on, these guys are legit, and they kind of went a little bit off the rails. Uh, well, not quite off the rails, but slowed down, like you say. Then week fourteen, the return fixture, thirty twenty-three to the Rams, have very much looked like, oh, these guys are now, yeah, another statement win. The other way around, these guys are going on to. Super Bowl. So there's the most swung back and forth as two sides. They've both got <coughs> I think just excellent offences by and large. Uh obviously the Rams got a notable connection with their cup. Uh the yards, a bit over, sixteen touchdowns this season has been unstoppable. And then but then you think, well, Stafford's got question marks, especially in playoff games. Is he big does he can he perform on that stage? That narrative will Continue on and annoy Simon some more. Um, and then Kyler, on the other side of it, Kyler Murray, again, sort of come out very exciting and suddenly just gets a bit control. And you think, well, has he got enough, again, on the really big stage uh, and some of the weapons around him, maybe obviously missing D-Hop takes that, takes that, that offence down a notch or two as well. Rams defence, there's no reason why it shouldn't just ball out every time, but for some reason they don't quite. No. Um, and the Cardinals' defense again. They got uh, um, Chandler, Chandler Jones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you're the guy down the center. I mean, they can really like they're, they're going to be putting a huge amount of pressure on Stafford, and it'll be interesting to see how he reacts to it. Um, but they've slowed up a little, and I think most of uh, his sacks came in the first, like say, the first eight weeks or so. Uh, probably in the first week. Actually, <laughs> I think he had a monster game then, didn't he? But. Uh, so yeah, it's quite a hard place where these two teams are right now, but on their day, you know, the, the big Super, ta- super Bowl uh, contenders. So it, it's a, a little bit of a pick'em in a way, isn't it? I think. I think it's probably trending slightly towards the Rams over the last few weeks, but okay. Who knows? Is that what you're going? Going with the Rams? Uh, yeah, I'll go. Uh, well, yeah, yeah that's, I'm sticking with pre-season uh, Rams Pats Super Bowl. So yeah, not changing that. Okay. Yeah, it is. It is a funny one that the Cardinals had a, had a great win a couple of weeks ago in Dallas. And thought, ah, right, they got the show back on the road. 
and then they just laid an egg at home to uh, a Seattle offense that's been pretty dormant most of the year, but the Cardinals just couldn't get anything going in that game. And, uh, and they lost, not the ideal preparation for the playoffs. The Rams themselves, so I, you know, that was a big loss for them. Yes, they were in the playoffs, but you know they, they would have been uh, they would have been the two seed in in, in the in the NFC with, with, with a win in that game, taking on uh, the Eagles. Um, they've ended up in in, in this scenario uh, home to the Cardinals. Another multiple turnover game by by Matthew Stafford. Uh, I don't know whether there was some miscommunication on that last play with, with, with Odell Beckham. The, the, the one that uh, sealed it for the Niners up 17 nothing. I don't know what it, it just all feels a little bit messy at the moment between these two I don't, know, I don't know how you see this one going I think they're very similar football teams aren't they so I think they've got star studded plenty of talent just not quite got that strong core well I don't even know if you want to say that it's hard to explain they don't feel solid they feel like they're gonna have a bad day every other week and i don't know what that's about like i love watching both these offenses they're fantastic i like watching both the defenses too when they're on fire you know that keeper cups has a season to remember i've i think i've i've got him down as my mvp of the season so far it's, it's ridiculous what he's done um the cardinals for the first eight weeks they were the team that we all just could not stop what talking about. You know, it's phenomenal seasons for them. I hope the Cardinals beat the Rams because outside of the Cardinals, there's, there's not much to get excited about on the Tennessee side for someone who likes underdog teams or teams you've not been there in the, in the final four for a long time to be back in. You know, to be to be in there this time. So I want like that. The Bengals and the Bills, you know, and obviously the Cardinals. But it's hard to it's a hard one to pick. It is. I'm gonna have to go with the Rams sadly because they're at home. I think it's the only slight advantage they've got, and the fact that they lost. Against the 49ers, he looked mightily pissed off about that. This Sean McVay, I think he'll, uh, I think he'll come packing. I think he'll be ready for this. Will McVay. Um, whereas the Cardinals, whilst it's whilst you're clutching at straws for a reason why they might lose, maybe just getting to the playoffs itself is seen as a progression for them. Mm-hmm. Okay, one and done. Right, next season we'll make a push in the playoffs. I don't know. I, don't, I honestly don't know. They're missing D Hop, aren't they? And there's no guarantees back for this one yet either. You don't know if JJ Watts back in the, for this one. He was training today. Uh, but they don't know how he is yet. So they've got probably more injury concerns than the Rams do. But give me the Rams in, in a very, very tight one. Okay, yeah, I'm going to say the Cardinals. Uh, I, 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 I can't go I can't go with Matthew Stafford uh, at the moment, uh, particularly in the playoffs. Um, yeah, just just give me the better quarterback in, 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 a, in a close game. And there we go. That is our playoff preview wildcard weekend, super wildcard weekend, Sam. Uh, and speaking of super things, um, I believe we've got one last visit site. And I know that you're really looking forward to this little Sunday. You've got your Sunday best on, haven't you? As we go for a little uh, a perambulation along Acroyd Avenue. Acroyd Avenue. Uh, thank you, Robert. As as ever, the last uh, last day could Avenue of the year uh, involves Alabama. Would you believe who could have th- who would have thunk it? Um, hang on, hang on, me. hang on. You're, t- you're making it to a positive. <laughs> oh, look at Alabama in the, in the, they lost. They lost. Yeah, in the national championship again. Um, Losers. Yes, Georgia thirty-three, Alabama eighteen. Dan, uh, 
Lucas Oil Field in Indianapolis. Um, as I suspected it would do, but uh, Georgia bounced back from that uh, championship loss uh, a few weeks ago when they, Alabama just really tore some took them apart. They they were upset about that. They knew they they took that took their lessons from that. Uh, we saw it against Michigan uh, in the semi-final, and they carried it through. Just a phenomenal, that phenomenal defense, which I think through the season they're averaging uh, 9.8 points a game. They were chipping. Um, came back to what what it has been all year, and we had a, a right old ding dong, really. Um, yeah, the score's think, a, the score think, uh, a bit disingenuous, isn't it? it yeah, it, it was a big fourth quarter turnaround, I suppose. But, but, at half time, it was nine six to Alabama. I think the first time in that is uh, in this in the modern era, the CFP era. That um, I don't think anyone scored a touchdown in the first half because both defenses were playing absolutely lights out stuff. I mean, Simon would have loved this kind of the, the football. It was so so aggressive on that front line from everyone, and short of a few big plays uh, from both of them. I think notably. Uh, for George, it was a ridiculous like forty-yard catch for uh, George Pickens. Um, well, it might even be fifty yards. A fantastic catch, which just got them back to life. And they were Stetson Bennett. Up until that point, it looked lost uh, at quarterback position, but that was a, a real big play for them. But he couldn't convert it into anything. And Bam had a couple of them. Um, most notably for them was Jameson Williams getting a big again sort of forty-yard yard big chunk play. But on that one, unfortunately. Um, Tories ACL. I think that was probably one of the biggest points in the game where they'd lost, having previously met she Tories ACL in the first uh, match with Georgia. The two big wide receiver weapons went out, and what was already a tough defense to score on got that bit tougher. Um, in the second half, more of the same, really. Alabama managed to edge it ahead. They got a touchdown in quite, well, quite bizarre circumstances leading up to it on a, a really weird forced fumble, which is worth a, worth a watch. The way it was collected in the mo- the guy collecting the false fumble did not know he was collecting the false fumble and just casually picked it off. <laughs> it, it, it's just bizarre, it's bizarre to watch. He just, it, just, it looked like it had been an incomplete pass and he just picked it up as if it was that. Only just stayed in bounds to make it a collect a reception um, a turnover. Um but did not know he'd done it. But fortunately, uh, it should have run in for a touchdown if he'd been awake. But fortunately they scored on that one anyway. Fourth quarter leading. Uh, and Georgia just came out in that fourth quarter, two, two touchdowns. Uh, the big one, uh, Stetson Bennett on what, to, what was a free play, basically. Bama jumped the line. Remarkable 40-yard bomb down to uh, Mitchell, Adonai Mitchell, um, rookie rookie receiver. He's like, well, free throw, let's take a shot. It was just absolutely perfect from that, that uh, touchdown. They managed to get another one quick and then... Leading by eight points, Alabama trying to get back into it. Bryce Young uh, with a wayward throw, uh, has to be said, picked off. Uh, and uh, what's his name? Keely, uh, Keely Ringo ran it back 70-odd yards to the house despite his uh, head coach telling him to just sit down. So you don't lose. Running all the way with him saying, just take, take the knee and we'll hold on to the football. Do not lose this football. But he took it, took it back for a touchdown. Georgia up. Absolutely deserved uh, victory, I think, especially on the base of the season. These were the two best teams by a long way uh, throughout the year. I think Georgia, uh, as soon as they got that number one spot, didn't really relinquish it until they lost to Alabama in that. And they should have had it a lot earlier than that. They've been absolutely 
the best side by uh, by anyone's metrics, really. Um, and two great teams, real real slobber knocker. It was a, a good good fun national championship. And good congratulations to Georgia. All I can say on it. I think it was forty one years since they've last uh, climbed the mountain. So huge credit to former Bama uh, coordinator. Uh, Kirby Smart with him. <laughs> was, uh, well, the first time he's managed to beat his uh, mentor Nick Saban. I think the second time Nick Saban's lost to any of his uh, any of his underlings uh, in like twenty odd appearance uh, goes. Both this season, mm-hmm. interestingly, Jimbo Fisher did it for sloppy, Texas A&M. Sloppy. Uh, so I mean, that, that's going to be very interesting. Looking forward to those three uh, teams in the SEC next year. I think all recruiting very well. Or with you know great coaches, those are going to be some real tasty uh, matches uh, next season. Um, but yeah, this really is all about Stetson Bennett's remarkable story. I don't know if Sai wants to go off on it a bit, or if I can go, or shall I go through it, Sai? About what? There's a walk about Stetson Bennett, the walk-on Georgia Bulldog fan. Yeah, all his go life on, thought. tell the story, mate. It's interesting, isn't it? I, I love his uh, uh, perseverance in an era whereby people at the, at the first sight of adversity or bench or the bench you know waiting to turn decide to get in the transport and go and go away this kid uh was uh georgia through and through was it uh was he a two-star quarterback coming out of high school didn't get any offers or certainly didn't get an offer from georgia where he wanted to go so he just walked on uh and yeah, uh, and what, what what a career he's had yeah so it's like you say all he wanted to do really was play for georgia bulldogs so went to georgia went as huh? walk on couldn't get any, but couldn't get any game time there. So he went to one of the junior colleges for a year, performed so well there that they then did give him a scholarship, get, get him back in. Still only as a backup, but they played his way on this this year. Um, I mean, you look at him, he's not, you were asking earlier uh, on the WhatsApp, weren't you, why, why aren't we talking about him in, in drafting circles? Because he might not get drafted. Uh, he's, well, George says 5'11", he might, uh, that's pushing it. Um and you know he doesn't sort of have these any sort of remarkable metrics or performance, but he gets it done. He's got it done playing for his, you know, his boy Ed Sears, Roy the Rover stuff basically, uh, and then to do it on this championship stage uh, when I say in the first quarter he really did look out of his depth. Um, so it's come back in the in the fourth quarter like he did is absolute, you know, real testament to the kid. It's been yeah. uh, just a great great story. Um, I say you might not see him in the NFL. Um, I think it'll certainly be a way down on the on the um, day three or four or whatever. But uh, yeah, this is what it's all about at college. Can, can I ask when would the last time be that that, that happened in your memories? That because from what I'm from, what I've been reading and what I gather from what you guys have told me, this is all this has predominantly been on the back of this awesome Georgia defense with a quarterback who, as you say, may not even make it in the NFL. When was the last time? You'd say that happened in, in in the national championship. That's a good question. Um, I think I can't remember how far. Seems unusual, Seems unusual that uh, a completely unheralded quarterback can can go on and win it. Well, I mean, it's a victim of circumstance, isn't it? So obviously, the best teams in in, in college football recruit the best players. That's just the way it goes. So if obviously Georgia would have had a, a top quarterback, and they actually don't weren't supposed to start Stetson Bennett. They were supposed to start J T. Daniels, but ever since his transfer over from USC, he's just not been able to stay healthy. Um, he was the guy who was brought in to replace Jake Fromm, who obviously got them to the uh, uh, college football playoffs. And I mean, he's finished out the season with as the Giants starting quarterback, would you believe? Yeah. But I mean, I yeah, it's 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 uncommon without a doubt. Uh, 
it'd be interesting to see going forward just what it means because even in this one even Cincinnati shouldn't have got there I've got Desmond Ridder who is considered to be probably a second round draft pick this season so yeah it's, it's a, it is an unusual situation it's a, it's a fairy tale storyline I think that's that's why it's captured the imagination of people outside of uh, maybe the SEC fanboys who who were just absolutely jerking off over the fact that it was two SEC teams in the in the playoffs once again. I mean, as good as the story is, I much prefer it to to us to seeing like Cincinnati play Michigan in in the national championship. I think a lot more people would have been interested in the outcome. Third straight year for an SEC team, different one each time. LSU, Bama, and Georgia, a powerhouse division. Well done. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and we will we will leave it there, folks. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week to break down uh, the Super Wild Card weekend. But enjoy your first weekend of, of playoff football, stretching right the way through to, to Monday night or the wee hours of, of Tuesday morning, as it is over here in the UK. Don't forget, we are sponsored by Royal Flush Designs, your quality gear all throughout the year, and a 10% discount code for you, the uh, listeners of the Claps and Bucket podcast, with a discount code pocket 10 letters in pocket numbers in 10 this pocket has well and truly collapsed and we are on the run and we will say good night uh, my name is rob ward your old mate wardy this is simon carroll cheers guys this is sam acroyd speed up and this is tata for now Smokestack spitting black soot into the sunny sky.